All right, guys. Uh, welcome to the unnamed uh, soccer slash football podcast. We don't really have a name for it at the moment. Maybe that's something we could uh, put out there for our uh, brave listeners to decide. Um, so I guess I'd like to introduce the other co-host here, Carl. Uh, my name's Cameron. Um, so Carl, maybe uh, give us a little bit about your background with the sport, um, your favorite teams, maybe what you love about it, uh, and your experience as well. Yeah, so um, I, I actually, I have a, a funny experience with soccer. So I stopped playing soccer when I was in the third grade. I decided, you know, I would go and try out American football. And um, I played that up in, from the time I was about probably nine or 10 up until I was 13, 14. I got absolutely destroyed in American football. I was not the type of player, you know, I maybe should have stuck with soccer, but that's all in hindsight now. But I kind of fell out of soccer, didn't really watch much growing up. Um, And then around the time right after I graduated high school, um, I would wake up, you know, early Saturday mornings, make a pot of coffee, sit down to do some homework. And I would always like turning on something for like background noise. Um, So because soccer, you know, over in Europe, in England, the Premier League, would play early in those mornings I would turn that on and I would do my homework with that in the background it's just kind of something you know almost like how people like listen to rain when they go to sleep it's just kind of that was that soothing thing for me and then after a while like I started um watching and paying more attention and um you know I I think one of the biggest things I loved at first too was there was 45 minutes of just constant action you know there's no commercials there's no breaks and you're just watching the ball you know go up and down um the pitch and then you know I really started paying more attention to the tactics of soccer and the teams and the players and I just became so intrigued with the sport um that I just started following it more and following it more. And I would say right around like 2014, um, I started watching, I started actually following teams. I became, you know, as I am now, a big Tottenham Hotspur fan, Um, you know, unfortunately sometimes for my sanity. Um, But I just, (laughs) you know, it's, I just, I happened to pick the team that's might be one of the most heartbreaking teams to watch and follow um but definitely the most rewarding when they do have success like i remember watching you for in the champions league last year and even though they lost it was just kind of a cool moment to see them actually get to that you know moment of success like that um but yeah no i just i I fell in love with the sport and you know, I love the Premier League, I love La Liga, I love all, you know, European um, competitions. Um, but then I started really falling in love with the sport down in South America, um, watching a lot of, you know, I was, I was got so intrigued watching these young teenagers in Brazil and Argentina and Colombia, you know, kind of watching them develop at these lower clubs in those countries before a big team in Europe comes and buys them up. Um, and so that, you know, has become sort of my passion now following those leagues, you know, the Copa Libertadores and, um, Flamengo and Brazil, like watching all these, uh, players just kind of grow up, um, and then seeing a big club like Real Madrid or Barcelona or AC Milan, just kind of, you know, pick these kids after getting success. And then they have even more success with the bigger clubs. Um, I've, you know, sort of tried to you know, get into MLS. I, you know, this is conversations we're going to have during all these podcasts about how, you know, the soccer federation can kind of help 
fix MLS at where it's at and how they can maybe help improve it. Um, so I've been trying to force myself more to watch it and it's it's been a process and it's taken a few years to kind of get, um, you know, just you, you watch European soccer and then MLS soccer and sometimes it's a little, you know, a little frustrating, but... Yeah, it's definitely a... Di- definitely a different it's beast. a different beast and it's uh, you know that's i was i've been watching some of these tournament games in orlando and you know all these players are even it's they're they're out of shape and they haven't played for a while um but it's just you know there's a lot of potential and especially um we'll get into talk about the usl there's a lot of potential there too and so that's kind of you know where i'm at now i've just you know fallen in love with the sport fallen in love with the beauty of the game and kind of all the cultures that come together with the game and um, it's definitely, it's, it's a beautiful sport. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I guess in, in, in regards to that, my, uh, background would be, I started playing at a really young age, uh, kind of just thrown into it, um, for the local, um, rec club, I guess I would say it was more of just like a program for kids. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I played all through that. I had my own little stint with American football. It didn't last long. Uh, I think it was third and third and fourth grade just I, I don't really know what it was I just stopped doing it I think it might have just been the dual commitment of playing both sports just wasn't really working um but I ended up playing all the way through middle school uh me and Carl actually played against each other in middle school briefly I'm pretty sure uh and then I played through high school uh and just kind of stopped there's something about my experience with high school soccer uh that um I just kind of fell off out of love with the game for a little while um, I had been playing club soccer from, I think it was eighth grade through junior year at that point as well. Uh, so I'd kind of been doing it all year round in, indoor for club uh, and then the spring season for the club as well. Uh, and it, it just kind of became a lot. Um, I think what hurt me in those early years was that I didn't really have the access to um, to following a lot of the, the European leagues. Uh, MLS was really only in its infancy in those stages as well and I think part of that was I didn't really get that that environment that you get in Europe uh, or even South America and Mexico uh, I went to Foxborough a couple times to see New England Revolution games uh, and other than the uh, going to see Beckham play when he played for the Galaxy uh, whenever you'd go there it would just be half the stadium full you'd be so far away from the field that you could barely tell what was going on um, so it just wasn't a great experience for a kid. Uh, you know, you don't really, you didn't get the same sort of like cultural things that, that happen with a lot of, um, European leagues where they, you know, they'll do those walks to the pitch, uh, or not the pitch, the stadium. Uh, you have those supporter groups that are going crazy. Uh, the revs kind of have that, but I, I hate to really talk down on them because I know those people care, but it just kind of looks sad, especially with the other half of the stadium empty over by where they are. Um, but, and then once I got into college and similar to you, uh, the weekends, you know, you'd wake up, you'd be either just hanging out or, um, you know, kind of recovering from the prior night and you just throw whatever was on. And, uh, usually in those mornings, thanks to NBC, I think also Fox sports one, um, you know, you'd have either the Bundesliga on or premier league. And I really started to get into it. Um, I think what really got me into it was the culture. Uh, when you look at a lot of mm-hmm. these teams, there's there's more to it than just a business. Um, there's a real cultural identity behind the team, whether that's you know religious, um, just geographical. 
uh, or maybe there's something else about the club that makes it special. You know, you kind of look at like St. Pauli, for example, in Germany, which really has a distinct uh, cultural identity to it. Um, but that kind of grew on me quickly. Um, I think the Premier League is what, what a lot of people kind of gravitate towards. And for me, that, that definitely held true, especially with um, what I watched at the time. Uh, and so I kind of gravitated towards Liverpool. Now, I think the reason for that was uh, Fernando Torres, if I'm really looking back there. Um, back when Fernando Torres was playing, he was like one of those few <laughs> players that kind of became visible on a world stage thanks to his time with Spain as well as Liverpool. Uh, and I, I had a big Liverpool poster at that point in my room. I think I was like in middle school, maybe <laughs> high school with that. Uh, and so I kind of decided, all right, I'll start watching Liverpool. And then once I learned that uh, Fenway Sports Group owned them, it really kind of made sense because of being from New England. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, there wasn't much of a connection other than that. So I kind of started watching them, really got behind it. Uh, just learned and learned and learned, really f- fell in love with the whole transfer aspect of it. I don't know. I just found that business to be really interesting, just how players are bought and sold. It's just so foreign. It, it's so much different. Falls. Yeah. It's so, yeah. it's so much different than any other American sport that I think that's one of the things that's so fascinating about it. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, they're, they're commodities compared to, you know, I, I guess, players in like the NBA and MLB are commodities too, but it's just like, they don't always have a price tag. That's so apparent, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, like in the NBA, Oh, Oh I no, mean, no. Keep going. Yeah. 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 Like, like in the NBA and the MLB, like what you see is like their price tag are different players. It's not really money, but then with like, you know, European soccer, basically, everywhere it's the price tag is it's either you know this many euros or that many dollars or you know i mean there's like an actual number like you were saying it's it's really fascinating exactly yeah and um so from there i i actually really got back into the sport uh playing as well i played a lot of intramural soccer in college and that kind of brought the fun back into it uh and then i played men's league for a couple years in the portland maine area and uh, that was just a great thing to do when, you know, I started a full-time job. So it was like I needed something else besides going to work and going home and just doing nothing. So uh, going to play men's league soccer was awesome. You know, I, I met a lot of people from that and also uh, just have really got the love for the game back. And then since then, I've just been following as many teams as possible. Um, besides Liverpool, I try to follow Rangers. Uh, that's another one that's just like there's no real meaning behind it other than the fact that I started following them as soon as they uh, dropped down to the fourth tier in Scotland due to their administration so uh, that's another one Mm -hmm. I like to follow just because it's an interesting story it was fun to watch them come back up through the ranks Uh, you know for the same reason I kind of kept tabs on RB Leipzig I think I said that wrong but uh, yeah so that's kind of my background Um, and then Carl should we kind of tell them maybe more about what we hope to achieve in this podcast? Uh, I mean, we've talked a lot about the Premier League, but we both have a vision for what this is going to be. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of people would be interested in that rather than to, you know, kind of hang their head and go, all right, well, this is another Premier League or La Liga or Champions League podcast. <laughs> I have enough of those. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think what we want to be is we want to be original and we want 
um, we have this, you know, sort of idea and this vision and this feeling that, you know, leagues like the USL, um, we've talked about, you know, between conversations between both of us, the Canadian Premier League, like these sort of leagues, um, either, you know, in North America or in other places, uh, we want to discuss and we want to shine a light on what's happening in those leagues and, you know, players, stories, controversy, drama, like all these sort of things that you wouldn't hear on a normal, you know, soccer podcast uh, that deals with like the bigger stories yeah yeah and I think uh, one thing that I, I th- we can definitely both agree on is that once you start watching soccer and or football whatever you want to call it I, I'm, I've actually kind of grown to want to call it football more but uh, mm-hmm. I think what what you realize is that it's a it's a world they call it the world's game and that that's that holds so true I mean you can look up just about any country and they've got a, a football league there you know you look up Belize, they've got a football league. Costa Rica, they've got a football league. <laughs> Japan, Vietnam, mm-hmm. like they all have a league. And I, I, at least for an English language audience, there's not that many podcasts that go in depth on just what's happening in all these far flung corners of the earth. So that's kind of what we want to try to right. uh, uh, talk about here. And maybe in the future, we hope to have people from those respective countries come on and uh, give us a little a bit of insight into. Uh, things that we wouldn't just be able to find by looking up news articles. So I guess with that said, Carl, uh, let's hop in on uh, one topic here that we can we can look at uh, as soccer slash football is coming back into the fold. Um, so a lot of leagues restarted. Um, some played through this whole coronavirus pandemic, uh, Belarus, for example. Uh, not sure how they really kept that going. But uh, back in the United States, as you mentioned, we've got the MLS back in action doing their little strange bubble thing. Um, you know, that's had its pros and cons. We're not really going to talk about that. There's been plenty of podcasts that have gone in on that, and it's it, it has its its interesting elements. But we'd really like to talk about how uh, the United States Soccer League, the USL, is back. Uh, and interestingly, Carl, it's uh, it's been with fans. So I'm not sure who made that decision, but yeah, it's uh. So today for our first podcast, uh, we thought we would talk about a couple different things that are currently happening right now, as well as uh, some more theoretical discussions for the future of United States soccer, uh, as well as the rest of the <laughs> world. So uh, we'd like to talk about how the USL is back in action. Uh, there's some interesting tidbits on that, uh, definitely different than what the MLS has been uh, doing. Uh, we'd also like to go a little bit on uh, the the going-ons of uh, the South American leagues. Uh, there's not a ton happening right now as for action, um, but I would like to include Mexico in that. Um, I know they're North America, but uh, there is some interesting developments in their league structure uh, as well as that. Uh, we'd like to talk about how uh, coronavirus may affect uh, the future of development in the United States for uh, both the top and lower leagues. Uh, and then what we'd like to do in the future, um, me and Carl talked about this a little bit, uh, we'd like to kind of do a profile piece on a random league. Uh, so we would be looking for some uh, potential listeners or people who uh, may know a little bit about these leagues to come on, give us some insight, as I previously mentioned and uh, just be there for a bit of a conversation. Uh, We'll do our research and 
come at you with some fun facts, mm-hmm. some history, top players, maybe some uh, traditional powerhouses, and uh, what the f- state of the leagues look like right now. So we'll try to announce those um, at the end of each podcast just so people can be prepared for it. Uh, maybe they can write to us mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'm from that country. I'd like to talk to you a little bit. These are the teams I support. Uh, you know, give us the, the, your availability because that is important. Uh, and is very yeah, important. and so it'll be a good way to kind of travel around the globe right now. Well, well, especially us Americans can't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a visionary traveling around the globe. Yeah. Exactly. It's the best thing we can do. Uh, There's actually a new flight simulator game coming out soon that I'm looking forward to because (laughs) as far as I can't go to Europe and all those other countries, that'll be the best cheap vacation. Right. (laughs) So the first story we'd like to go over is uh, the USL is back in action. And Carl, did you know that they're doing this with fans? I cannot believe it, Cameron. You You know I... I don't even know where to begin with this sort of thing, and <laughs> it, it, it's just it's, wow. It's, it's actually shocking. So I was, um, it, I I texted you because I was down in uh, Saint Petersburg, Florida. Um, probably a little geographical lesson for our listeners right now. Carl's in Portland, Maine, um, where I actually used to live. We're both from Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently moved to Florida, so um, I'm in Tallahassee home of Tallahassee Soccer Club as well as FSU but mostly Tallahassee Soccer Club we'll leave it at that Ooh. and uh I was actually down in uh St. Petersburg not that long ago uh last weekend actually and um I happened to walk by the Tampa Bay Rowdy Stadium which is a beautiful stadium Carl I think I sent you a couple pictures I do have a oh, video it, it looks gorgeous for a UCL stadium it looks it looks amazing and it's right on the water too it looks like it's incredible yeah yeah, right in the heart of downtown, uh, you look right over the water. It's a beautiful stadium, uh, but as I was walking by there, I saw a couple of fans uh, all dressed up in their Rowdies gear, ready to go, and I was super confused. Um, I actually <laughs> stupidly was like, all right, I'm going to look for tickets, as unrealistic as that would have been. Uh, but mm-hmm. then I found a couple articles that said that they were doing what seemed like a pretty smart idea. They were only going to have 100 people viewing the game. Uh, it was going to be like super fans, basically, and family. So that made sense, mm-hmm. I think, and I, I think you'd probably agree. You know, if you're in a big stadium, you can have 100 people there. Right. But then um, I did a little research into kind of what the rest of the league's doing. And, and, Carl, let me read out this number to you and see how crazy this sounds, uh, especially with how, like, we, we can't even decide if we're going to send kids back to school but I just read that uh, when the Indy 11 came back for their first game, Carl, the attendance for this game in the stadium was 4,761. <laughs> like, what, how, how, how many people fit in that stadium? I, I don't know. And, I mean, it, it could be a lot more than that. Uh, right. It's Let's see here. I'll do, I'll do a quick Google just because we, we should because, know like, this. If, if it's like... I mean, even if it's like a 10,000, you know, capacity stadium, there's not a whole lot of social distancing going on in there. Like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... In, I mean, how'd they have people come through the gates? Like, did they just say, all right, they're only going to send a couple people through at a time? Like, you need to stand six feet apart while you're waiting in line? Oh, it is? Okay, so... 
What you got? What you got? All right. So, so okay. This does sound a little bit better when I looked at where they actually play. Uh, this is, you know, totally uninformed on the Indy 11. Uh, I knew at one point they were going to build their own stadium. I'm not sure what happened with that. I saw the renderings looked pretty good. But they played this game in Lucas Oil Stadium. So some of you may oh. know that's the home of the Colts. That's about a 70,000 capacity. So, yeah, not bad, I guess. But Not bad, but but still, that's that's a lot of people to be in an indoor stadium. Indoor. I mean, it's not like it was outdoor like most USL. You know, that's an indoor stadium. Um, so there's not a lot of air going on there. Um, and like, I, I understand for the USO from a lot of these teams perspectives, because financially, like, how are you going to survive this? Like, you're not selling that much no. merchandise. You know, I mean, you have to pay salaries to the players and albeit probably smaller salaries, much smaller than what the MLS has to pay. But at the same time, like you're not bringing in as much finances. So the only other way to get more finances outside of, you know, selling gear, souvenir, um, is by attendance. So it's, yeah. it, it's, a, it's an interesting situation um, for these clubs right now because, you know, it's, we're, you're talking about like you're talking about a lot of small businesses in other places in the U.S. and all over the world during this pandemic is how do you survive financially um, and how do you do it in a, how do you do it in a safe way? They're already, you know, a minor league, and minor leagues generally are operating on shoestring budgets, unless you're, oh, yeah. uh, you know, like the the New York Cosmos, who kind of have that historical and financial backing. Uh, but mm-hmm. a, a lot of these teams, and, and I think, you know, this this data I don't think is regularly available. So I would guess that for a lot of these teams, their yearly budget. Is pro- I mean, this is me going on a limb here, but I'm going to say it's like 70% match day revenue. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I know that they have that ESPN Plus TV deal, which is awesome. Uh, you were talking about right. the, other, the other day. I have it. It's like $5 a month. Totally recommend it's it. You don't, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, you, you don't just get USL. You get, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw that you can get the Australian A-League. Uh, I've definitely Syria. seen some. Syria, yeah, I've seen some Central yeah. American stuff on it. Uh, it's awesome. So you know, I'll, I'll plug ESPN there for that. Good, good on them for. Maybe they'll sponsor us down the road. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. Uh, they, I mean, <laughs> throw them enough plugs. Shout out the Ca- Caught Offside podcast. Uh, I listen to that every episode, pretty much. So yeah, ESPN, holla at you, boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so it, it, it's tough to see. I, I, you know, I think the scary thing that we, the, the elephant in the room that we might have to just talk about here now is how many of these teams are going to still be around next year? Do you think that they'll make it through this? I mean, uh, I think one of the, in this, this team's going to be fine, but already, you know, Charlotte was supposed to join the MLS next year and they're already pushed back to 2022. Uh, they announced it today on Twitter. So, I mean, they'll be fine financially, but it's already pushing, you know, expansion teams that are supposed to come into the MLS back right now. Um, and let alone what's going to happen to, like you said, these lower level teams, especially the ones that don't have, you know, the financial backing to to sort of provide and pay salaries. And um, yeah, they, they could be in a lot of trouble unless uh, I, I don't know how much of a hand the, you know, United States Soccer Federation could have in it and trying to save the league <laughs> or trying like I, I don't That's think funny. we should be too optimistic about um, them doing something positive. Uh, 
but it's it's unfortunate because you know you a lot of these you know USL teams it's it's kind of a way for some of these kids to break in um and it's uh I, I don't know what's gonna happen yeah I don't know about you Carl but I thought that uh we were really starting to see some momentum in the lower leagues here definitely I, I, I definitely think you were and you know there's it's been constant talk over the last decade of some sort of relegation maybe at some point within the MLS and the USL and um, I know that's been a huge topic of conversation for a long time now and it felt like there was a lot of pressure finally being put on um, yeah. and I mean, if some of these teams fold out, I mean, a lot of these expansion clubs you're seeing getting called up, you know, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Nashville, they're all coming up from the USL, right? They're, it's just they, they are, you know, they're making that jump. They're making that move. And a lot of these clubs, like, are proving that they can make that jump. You know, we're given a little bit of better finances and purchasing up some players. I know FC Cincinnati had a dismal year last year. But just, oh God, yes, yeah. just, just uh, what was it, yesterday or two days ago, they beat Atlanta United. And I know that's like apples and oranges right now because none of these teams are really in shape. But, I mean... You you see a team or the team like a club like Atlanta United, and granted they have a lot of financial backing thanks to Arthur Blank. But I, the second second year in the league, they win the MLS championship. Like there's there's a lot of proof, I guess you could say, that these USL clubs can come up to the MLS and compete. Um, and I think it's really unfortunate if some of them fold and go under financially, um, because there's there could be a really- lot of opportunity. It really hurts those markets, uh, especially, you know, mm-hmm. you have these fans. It's, it's, uh, I was watching um, a couple of YouTube videos the other day. Uh, specifically, there's a couple clubs that really, um, I, I don't know, that's really piqued my interest. Uh, it would be Forward Madison and, mm. and Tormenta FC. I think, they're, I, I think they're both in USL League One right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I bring them up um, is I think they're slightly different cases. Uh, Tormenta FC definitely a small town club uh but i i do think they represent the the true grassroots uh they're really trying to make something happen and i i think their market is like gosh i, I want to say it's like less than thirty thousand or something like that the people that that live yeah. there it's a college town so that that probably helps them a little bit but uh mm-hmm. the re- the real differentiation i wanted to bring up besides the size of the market was I think Tormenta FC was in the process of um, building a stadium. If it's oh, if it's wow. not already built, I, I don't know. But, I mean, that it, it throws a wrench in something like that, and then they have to do right. projections on their, their revenue for the next couple of years to see if this stuff's still feasible. Um, Forward Madison, on the other hand, I think they are leasing a stadium. Or, actually, I looked this up. Uh, their ownership group had already owned that stadium. So... Mm. Uh, they got the city to kind of put some money into it, make some renovations. It's actually a fairly beautiful stadium. It looked like they had some uh, condominium buildings around it. So if you're lucky, you know, you, you have a, a condo and you can watch the games for free. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. But yeah, it's just it's the question of those teams where they're not going to have the dedication that uh, mm-hmm. MLS has from their, their ownership uh, as well as the USSF really just seems to kind of 
they get bullied by MLS. It seems like uh, yeah. you've got these. You've got the partnership now with USL, so I don't worry about USL that much anymore. Especially with a lot of these MLS affiliations, um, mm-hmm. that's kind of a that's kind of a different beast in my mind. Where I, I I see this like farm system structure creeping in, and I don't right. like it. I really don't. I don't know about you. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate. It, it's almost frustrating to watch this sort of go into motion like it because it's like they're trying to americanize soccer you know i mean they're trying to make it like every other american sport like the nba has the g league like the mlb has all these minor league and this farm system they're trying to make it too much like that when you look across the globe that is, you know, there's a working formula. There's a successful formula, you know, in all these countries and all these leagues. You know, you have youth systems and you have different divisions and different tiers. It's like there's a working formula. But for some reason that here, you know, in America with these leagues, they want to, I guess the best way to put it, like I said, is Americanize it. And it's just it's so frustrating to see it happen because it's there's so much potential um, you know, in the U.S. when it comes to soccer, like the growing demand for people who want to see good competitive soccer in this country. Um, you, you have Atlanta United selling out, you know, a football stadium, 70,000 fans, you know, you have dedicated fans, LAFC, LA Galaxy, Seattle Sounders, Portland Timbers, like you have these dedicated fans who just love their clubs here and you know in even in the lower leagues like you were talking about with those smaller you know market teams like you have dedicated grassroots fans and i mean yeah what what's a better story than seeing than seeing a club come up from the lower division and making it up to the mls and having some sort of success you know we'll probably talk about this on future podcasts but it's like what a story that gives and i mean if you want to talk about american you know sort of like visions and ideals what's better than an underdog you know what i mean like why are we trying to take that away from these clubs well that's why i i'd really i i don't understand why they don't experiment more in this these lower Mm. leagues they like they have a perfect opportunity especially the ussf if they decided to just put some money into this stuff and say i mean they've got the nisa right now um which stands in contrast to the USL in the way that they're they're structured. Uh, NISA is completely independent. Um, they're not franchises, they're clubs. Uh, pretty sure USL still has that franchise structure. Uh, it, it mm-hmm. appears a little bit different on the outside because I think there are still some independent clubs. Um, but with those affiliations, it does get muddied. What I've read is that they do uh, retain the um, IP to most of these franchises i think Mm, it's pretty short it's like a couple years after they leave so say uh they wanted to switch to a different league like they i think they can't use certain ip but um it it, it's like why not try and just do things differently in these lower leagues like why not say all right let's uh let's let's do some pro rel between usl championship usl league one which i think i've read uh that their commissioner is looking towards and i know it's it's more complicated than what we're saying um you know you got to figure out how to how do we do these travel costs how do we uh you know make sure that these teams have the correct facilities but it's getting to the point where if if things start to recover after covid and uh you know these teams find that they're they're still solvent they're still able to pay the players Mm -hmm. like let's give the people what they want there's been so many polls (laughs) 
that have shown that the American soccer fan does not like this franchise model. It's great no. if it if it keeps these leagues solvent for a couple of decades, but I don't really care what these owners want after after a little while. The whole point of this sport is for the fans. It's not for right. the owners and what they want. I know they put these investments in, but they they got to recognize that that's at an eventual point the fans are not going to be happy with the state of affairs. No. And and I think there there's definitely been a lot of unrest when it comes to it. Um and it it's it's frustrating. I mean, I don't really have a club in the MLS, but you know, you look at another like the New England Revolution, like you're talking about earlier, like how they play at a giant football stadium, you know, maybe nineteen, twenty thousand a year they average, um, in a seventy thousand, you know, person capacity yeah. stadium. But, you know, it, it wasn't until maybe this last year that, you know, the crafts actually started putting money into the team. And it's like owners won't put money into these teams to put a good product on the pitch until they're forced with some sort of like penalty for not having a good season right. you know what i mean like right. yeah and, you can and, sit in the bottom of mls and it's it's like all right you get your your mls super pick you know super whatever the draft's called you get your, yeah your best pick like who it's just and it, i i feel like with with that with that point that you made it's in a lot of leagues like the nba uh nfl Mm-hmm. You kind of get something for that, but I don't get why MLS owners would want to tank or would be consistently okay with being in the bottom because the talent pool isn't the same that you're selecting from with the NBA and the NFL. Yeah. You're getting the best of the best upcoming talent. You're not getting that in the MLS because that talent's mm-hmm. already gone. That's already it's already signed in Germany or or right. Uh, to those some kids academy have been, somewhere. Those yeah. kids have been signed by you know Manchester United or Barcelona since they were twelve. You know what I mean? Like they're they're gone. Like it's, it's exactly and, and that's and that's not changer. taking anything away from the college kids. You know who come up, who get drafted, who have success. But at the same time, like you know what I mean? Like it's. It, it, it's yeah. completely different. It, it's a completely different beast um, when it comes to that sort of thing. So there's, there's just, there's no point of tanking or using that and term I guess, tanking. Tanking, yeah. And I guess my last point on uh, the USL kind of financial structure and you know the potential for them staying solvent for the next couple of years, decade, what have you. Uh, I've read a lot about, and I was, I was curious about this because we talked about, you know, transfer fees being such a vital part of uh, the world game of football. But mm-hmm. uh, from what I can tell, a lot of these clubs don't receive really any sort of compensation if a player chooses to either go to the MLS or uh, overseas. There's just, there's very little in terms of um, compensation for academy products that go and sign with, you know, a team in Europe or say even South America, if they decide to take that direction. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that was something that I looked at. It's actually a FIFA kind of mandate is that they get these solidarity payments. And for some reason, the structure between MLS and USL just does not comply with that, which is ridiculous because you got to imagine like the player budgets already for salaries, I think is like a matter of for USL championship, like maybe a couple million if the Mm. the owner is, uh, you know, generous, but if you pay a club in the USL, say even you know half a million for for a top talent, like that, that goes such a long way, whether right. it's facilities or what have you. Yeah, right. Like that. Like, that's. I, I I actually I had no idea about that that you know fact there, and it just sort of that just boggles my mind about 
the whole you know status of the professional soccer leagues in the u.s like it kind of adds on to these layers of cakes that you know we've been talking about here um and it's just it's especially during a time like now where we're discussing if some of these clubs are even going to be able to survive financially and you have academy players getting up and you know leaving or something or like going other places and they're not getting financial compensation for it it's like it's going to hurt them even more yeah yeah definitely uh and i think that also kind of uh goes with another topic that i I wanted to bring up um i wanted to do it later in the podcast but i think we've hit uh we've really hit a a nail here that that drives right into this whole ecosystem Mm -hmm. uh and that's sort of the the pay-to-play aspect of the united states soccer at a uh at a youth level um so like, like I just mentioned, you know, the, the 500,000, you send that to one of these, you know, championship in the USL or League One teams in the USL, they could really just kind of allocate that for, for academy players. You say, you know, these academy players right now, I, I think some MLS teams may not make the kids pay, but the vast majority of these kids who are playing club soccer in the United States are paying $1,000, $500, maybe a couple thousand dollars just to play and train the rest of the world that does not happen i i mean i think when, what's fascinating and, and you know kind of going off about like other places in the world like either africa or south america or even in like europe and stuff like a lot of these soccer players come from you know poor neighborhoods you know what i mean and like the the, the talent like we're taking away a whole you know sort of aspect um of you know the type of players that could be playing soccer here in the u.s like you're you're it's it's like you said it's a pay to play it's it's the it's the privileged people who can you know play soccer here in the u.s yeah we're, we're definitely missing out on a lot of talent and i i think i do recognize that uh some of that talent does bubble up through you know high school and then going to play in college but mm-hmm. uh, one thing that those kids are missing and they could be they could be vastly improved if they had had that opportunity to play uh, in more of a professional environment from a young age, get that professional right. coaching, be playing all year round, like we have no idea what kind of talent we could be procuring and advancing into our United States men's pool. It's right. it's really it's it's sad. Um, I really don't know much more i can say about that yeah uh, it, it it's definitely a topic that you know sort of crosses a bunch of lines outside of soccer as well you know what i mean like it's not it, it it's it's it could open up a whole pandora's box and we could have a whole podcast just on this one topic here um about you know oh just yeah this whole situation about pay to play well i think the irony is it's it's sort of we we have this whole idea that america is all about you know business 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 but in the end it, it seems like our sports leagues are more socialized than just about anything whereas the european model which a lot of people say you know europe oh you know they got these socialist countries what have you yeah i'm, I'm not really gonna get into the politics on that but <laughs> if you look at all their, their if you look at all their leagues like they're mm-hmm. the most like you either sink or swim buddy and you know you yeah. can you you put up the cash you get what you you want and and you go for the win baby and it's it's like here we're like oh buddy sorry that you you had a bad year well here's your tv money and get ready for next year we'll give you some good picks so maybe things will be better next year it's it's just i don't get it i'm tired of it 
I I'm but, I am very tired of it. I've I there there's got to be there's there's solutions there, and it's just like and you know like we discussed oh, yeah. earlier, like maybe it's just you know there's much I guess more complicated business nature to it than uh, we probably understand just talking on a podcast and complaining about it, but it just. It, it seems like a situation, you know, like I touched on earlier, like it works. It's a model that works across the globe in every other country, in basically every other league. And for some reason, we just choose not to do it because either because we're yeah, stubborn yeah. or because, you know, it's, I don't know what it is. Yeah, and I think on top of that, if we wanted to say that it's just from a business standpoint that, uh, they're not adopting pro relative MLS. I don't think that's true. Uh, there's been multiple times where uh, these massive business moguls who are big time football fans. So like Ricardo Silva, for example, um, he actually owns Miami FC. Pretty sure they're in Nisa, I want to say. Could be wrong on that. Uh, he offered, I, th- I want to say it was like three or four billion dollars uh, <laughs> in and basically TV rights or something along those lines for the MLS to move to a pro rel system. And like four, that $4 billion would go an insanely long ways for, for these MLS teams, but they turned it down. And it's just because MLS is in cahoots with USSF. USSF doesn't want to, you know, sit down, put their fists down and say, all right, we're going to comply with FIFA standards. Right. I, I don't know. There's there's not much more I can say about that. The only other thing yeah. I wanted to bring up uh, before we move on to another topic was um, just how this is going to impact uh, what we were talking about earlier with uh, the development through like the high school and college system. Mm-hmm. Um, like, are those seasons even going to happen? No, I I, <laughs> I I I know a lot of you know college, especially the fall seasons, have already been called. Um, I don't know any of the big you know sort of you, when you think of like college divisions and college conferences like the big 12 and the big east and all this other stuff i don't think they've called it off yet but it's it's, it's looking more and more in like that direction which is gonna you know hinder a huge developmental aspect of a lot of these players in those systems yeah and not to mention uh like are, are parents even gonna go out and pay the you know thousand two thousand dollars if they have no idea if their kids even going to be able to play in their academy's team this right this upcoming season like it's just it's it's throwing so many wrenches in that i don't think i mean you're going to see those wrenches in europe you're going to see those wrenches in south america um maybe even more in south america just because of the precarious nature of a lot of those teams finances uh Mm -hmm. but i i think it's more guaranteed that you know they're bringing these kids in they're speculating and that's that's the irony is that in the united states businesses love to speculate you know the depend some of them will have lower risk tolerances obviously but like they love a good deal and then to be able to make a lot of money on that deal later on and i don't get why like say especially i think teams in like california new york like you you just say okay you know hey you, you look like a great talent we'll bring you on everything's paid for don't worry about it Later on, you know, they might find, I think I was, uh, oh man, uh, there's a kid I saw the other day who's, um, man, let me see if I can, I bookmark this. I'll see if I can find it real quick. <laughs> uh, but what I was looking at is I think he plays for FC Dallas now. Oh man, I'm killing myself now for not having this like 
all bookmarked, ready to go. But um, he was 16, I think, when he started playing for North Texas FC. And mm-hmm. I think his, his last name's like Pepe or something like that. And now he plays for uh, FC Dallas's first team. He might be 17. And wow. yeah, yeah, and exactly. And he's he's already, you know, starting for them. He, I think he's scored a couple goals this year before things went all haywire. And if some of these academies could just say, you know, find a guy like that. And I know it's it's a needle in a haystack situation, but if you find a guy like that, you basically take on all the assumed costs and risks of training this player. And then, you know, you get a situation where, say, uh, you know, Dortmund comes calling, Ajax comes calling, Celtics yeah. come, Celtic comes calling, uh, and you sell him on for a mil, $2 million. Like, it's just, it, it, it seems like it makes too much sense, but I know there's got to be something more to that. I'd definitely like to see if we can get some sort of executive on here uh, to talk to us a little bit more, but... Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you had any comments on that, Carl, before we move on, but... Yeah, no, I mean, it's... I, I think this is a, a nice little segue into what we want to probably talk about next, which is, you know, sort of South American soccer here. And like you were talking about is these kids, you know, bringing them up, getting them, calling them up through academies and then selling them off to the bigger clubs in Europe. Like, look what Vancouver Whitecaps did with Alfonso Davies. I mean, they brought oh him right God, up yeah. through and they, they sold him for, you know, I think it still is the highest, you know, deal an MLS club has, you know, sold a player for, transferred a player for. And, I mean, the kids, are, he's starting for Bayern. He's starting for Bayern right. Munich, I think. In they might have actually not gotten them. enough. Exactly. And I, I think Bayern got a, you know, a hell of a deal for this kid. Um, when he was, He's like 19 years old. They sold him when he was like 17. Um, but it's like kids like that. Like, I mean, you're seeing it. You start with Atlanta United with uh, Almiron, who got sold to, you know, Newcastle United. Um, yep. You know, they they yep. picked him out of the system, you know, down in South America and they brought him here to the U.S. And I think I think we're, we're talking about sort of formulas of how maybe to, you know, fix the MLS or at least move the MLS finally in a forward direction, which I think it slowly but surely is starting to do. I mean, it's still taking a lot of step back some seasons at times, um, which is frustrating yeah. to see. But I think you, you need to have sort of this formula like Atlanta United did it again with Ezekiel Barco like this kid's a stud like this kid they're going to be able to sell off in two or three years to a bigger European club probably for two to three times of what they paid to get him in um and I I, and and I think this is sort of the formula like there there's such a pool of talent down at South America in some of these clubs that you know Mm -hmm. you bring them to the U.S. I mean you um you train them here I mean just how many examples are there of that it's it's insane it, it's insane, and I mean, even LAFC right now has a. Uh, they have two Uruguayan players, uh, Rosie and uh, Rossi, and what's I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head, but they're they're again they're stellar talent players. They're so talented, and a European club's going to come. They're going to pick them up, and you know those finances go right to these MLS clubs, and you know you're making you're making a hell of a profit. You know, f- you know, flipping these kids and kind of being that sort of. Uh, that feeder system to Europe from South America. Um, Yeah. And I I think, and I I think, yeah. And I think, I think you're totally right. And it's, and it's only more in uh, indicative of why these MLS teams should be more in solidarity with the lower leagues. 
mm-hmm. because you know yeah okay say they do have to make those um those payments to them whatever the the payments are generally called if they are trained at an academy like it shouldn't be that much these mls teams at some point if they know that they've got a gem on their hands and that they can end up selling them on for way more a la alfonso davies like this should not be difficult but you know right alas there's not there's not much we can do so um yeah, with with that kind of discussed, uh, we kind of went all over the place, but that's that's the goal here. We are going to be going all over the place. All over um, the place. And yes. speaking of going all over the place, let's go down to South America, Carl. What's uh, what's let's going on down there trip. besides Ga- the resurgence of Gabby Goal? <laughs> the resurgence of Gabby Goal down there. Um, I mean, there is there's a not a whole lot going on right now, unfortunately. I mean, everything got kind of shut down. Um, a lot of those leagues. Um, especially in Brazil, started were supposed to start in May, um, and some of them didn't even get started by the time everything got shut down. Um, good news is, maybe good news, we'll see, um, that it looks like August 9th is the return date for the Brazil City A. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of a lot of pushback against this, especially with what's going on um, politically and, you know, sort of with the oh, coronavirus God, yeah. down there in Brazil. Um, it is definitely, you know, a topic of, of discussion around there of if it's safe, even without fans, if it's safe to do this, if they're safe to come back. Um, in a lot of places, a lot of these stadiums, even the Maracana right in uh, Rio um, is being used as a testing site. Um, in some places, some of these stadiums in like, you know, bigger cities like Sao Paulo, it's like these stadiums are being used as almost like makeshift morgues, um, which is really, really unfortunate. Um, but you know, they're, they're looking, you know, to bring it back. Um, and there's, it, it, it should be, a, should be a fun season. I think, I definitely think Flamengo is just so much, you know, above every other club in Brazil and even in South America. I mean, they, that match against River Plate in the Copa Libertadores final last year, you know, Gabby Gol scores, I think twice in Incredible. like the last, the last 10 minutes, the last one being in the, like the final in extra yeah. time, I think too. Um, and it's just like, you know, they have finally figured out again. They have taken that step up again. Um, and it, it's great to see Gabby Gol. I mean, Gabby Gol has had such an interesting career. You know, he started in Brazil, gets sold off to, you know, um, Italy, really, you know, just hits rock bottom in Italy with his play. Like er- everybody's calling him yeah. a bust. And, you know, not I thought really. he was the next coming of R9. You know, I really thought he, he was the he next would, Ronaldo Nazario. It, it, he's he's fantastic like his, his touch on the ball his finishing ability like it is it's you know as as i like to say in brazil you know jogo bonito like it, it's very it's the beautiful game um and that's that's how he plays um so it's really really good to see him sort of have that resurgent down in flamengo um but I think, you know, there's another interesting aspect that's going around and we're just talking about how why, you know, how MLS clubs should be, you know, buying up all this young South American talent. And I mean, Real Madrid is poaching Brazilians from Brazil right now, you know, um, uh, Rodrigo goes, um, he's been getting a lot of first team yeah. minutes for Real Madrid. Vinicius Jr., um, he's a Flamengo, ex-Flamengo, you know, he's getting a lot of minutes for Real Madrid. Both of these guys, you know, yeah. you know, they're teenagers and Real Madrid actually, for both of them, bought their rights when they were 16. Um, I think one of them was 15. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that's important. That's very important. Cause I, it, it, it seems like typically they wait. They really want to see, okay, what are these guys going to do when they're the big man at the club? But it seems like Real Madrid just took this philosophy of, well, we don't really know, but we know that they're promising. We know we can get a good deal if we're buying their rights up when they're 16 and we're real madrid so we bring them here they may not have a great season we give them some first team games we can probably still make a profit yeah exactly and i mean it's it looks it's starting to look like more than making a profit for them it looks like these guys are going to be you know first team features uh for real madrid and it's it's really good to see and especially for i think for brazil sort of you know uh for their national team too, like a lot of those players, you know, starting to get old and they're starting to get up there, um, and they're still trying to figure a lot out um, after the uh, the twenty fourteen World Cup. I mean, there's still a lot of horrors that haunt them for that. Um, and you know, their last World Cup performance was, you know, it was okay. It wasn't. I I think they just ran into wrecking balls of teams. I mean, I don't think France was losing that, even if they were all blindfolded that World Cup. Um, and so it, yeah there i mean there people say their b team is just as good as anyone's a team it's it's insane um but it, it, it's definitely good to see um this younger brazilian talent kind of getting picked up from these bigger clubs it's it's definitely you know it feels like it's been a you know a little bit um since like a big team like that has taken these kids so young um like vinicius like rodrigo um, a lot of times, I mean, you look at like Shakhtar, like they poach a lot of young Brazilian talent. Yeah. They're a big feeder system for the rest of Europe when it comes to Brazilian talent. Um, AC Milan. That's a uh, Carl. I, I actually like to talk about that more. Not right now, but um, mm-hmm. that would be a great podcast to do at a later time. Oh, Just take fin- a big segment talk about Shakhtar because that is a really interesting model what they've got there and it works it's it works. I mean they've shown it's, it's a successful model oh yeah uh, I'm wondering if maybe you know we could find somebody from that area and just just say hey what do you know <laughs> what can you tell us because it's it's fascinating especially it's fascinating. since it's su- yeah. in such a far-flung location exactly but, but um one other item I wanted to bring up is because we're really trying to uh, dig in a little bit deeper to uh, just the, the sport and how things work in these different countries. One item I thought would be a topic of interest when it comes to Brazilian soccer or football is uh, the state championship. Do you think that those will still be held? I know they're really important, yeah. oddly enough. A lot of people would think otherwise, but they are, right? Yeah, and and I mean, that, that that's... I, I don't know. Uh, it's I anything that comes in regards, you know, football to soccer down there, like is really important. I mean, there's when um, the one time I visited down there, we were staying in Rio, um, and they had the uh, you know they had that youth nineteen and under tournament going on where like the club was in December, which is their off season, but they had a bunch of, you know, all these clubs, all the players who are under 19 years old were playing for these clubs in this tournament. And it was huge. Like people loved it and people, you know, like they're just, you know, diehard fans for them. So I, there, there's a lot of push to bring it, you know, to bring these sort of things and make it happen even despite what's going on. 
Yeah, I just I just wonder if you know the extra matches that come with the state championships. Uh, to those that may not know, uh, Brazil kind of has a, a different structure from most leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have their regular top division, which does uh, practice promotion and relegation. Um, they have the kind of open cup version, if you will. Uh, and then they also have state championships. So it's sort of like if, um, say, California, they did a open cup of just the teams that play in their state. So Brazil does that with all of their states. Yeah. Um, so even if you're at the lowest division, you might end up playing, say, Sao Paulo or Fluminense. Um, you know, it, and it's a, it's a weird thing that you don't see. I don't believe there's a single other country that practices anything similar so it's it's, it's definitely very special to brazil it's very special and that's kind of yeah. why i'm yeah and that's that's kind of why i'm wondering if it'll still happen um it might make sense if they postponed it but i would also go on a limb and say that it does bring in a lot of revenue to these smaller teams to you know get their chance against gremio or yeah you know, uh like some of these bigger clubs and you know it is um i'm i'm looking at now sort of because the uh the Brazil Football Federate Confederation um, said in a statement last week, you know, the season's going to begin August 9th and it's going to finish on February 24th. Um, and it says that most uh, T clubs are going to be mostly scheduled to play twice a week, including Christmas and the New Year period. Wow. Um, so that that's a big deal, playing twice a week, um, especially if they're trying to keep these state yeah. championships too. Um, you know, FIFA's international windows have been set for the being a set like for five days in September, five days in October, and then five days in November. Um, so it's uh, it's a really like interesting. I mean, there's been nothing on Copa Libertadores restarting or the Copa Sudamericana. Mm. Um, so it doesn't look like. I mean, those competitions were in the kind of the beginning stages back in March when everything yeah. got shut down. Um, but yeah, no, there's, it doesn't say much on what the state, you know, championships are going to be like. And if they're running all the way through to February, like you have to imagine plus playing twice a week that that would be. Yeah. I would imagine it wouldn't uh, yeah. happen. And if that's the case, there's no way they're going to add a third game oh, into no. a lot of those no, weeks. And it's, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be, you know, feasible for the players, for the clubs with the travel. Like you think about it. I mean. You, you think about, we were talking about earlier travel in the U.S. Um, I mean, you look over in England, like it's such a small country. You're not really traveling much. But like yeah. a, a country like Brazil, too, is huge. Like, I mean, the travel you have to go through, especially if you're playing twice a week, like you could be, you know, you could be in Rio one day and then you could be in the Northeast in Serea mm-hmm. the next day. And like, you know, it's just like you're you're traveling all over the place. Um, there's not a lot of time for training. Especially with how wary they are if airports right now exactly like with the travel like especially with this you know with covid going on like you're you're in airports you're on airplanes and um yeah that's that's actually really fascinating to see that they're gonna be you know it's official they're gonna be playing twice a week because um, that's a lot of travel um to be going back and forth i think that i think that says a lot that says a lot right there um so i guess as i mentioned earlier mexico is not part of south america Uh, i am very aware of that geographical distinction um but i would like to bring mexico up here uh they do sort of have a little bit of a connection they i'm not sure if that agreement is still going but they did send teams to the copa libertadores uh and they, they do pretty well but you know not fantastic 
Um, but what I would like to talk about with Mexico is we're kind of seeing this weird sort of growth towards becoming like the MLS. Mm-hmm. I think for a while people held Liga Emekis as a as like a benchmark for MLS, but now you kind of see them going towards a lot of things that MLS does. So, uh, for example, you're seeing the death of ProRel. From what I read, they are suspending promotion and relegation for the next five years. Not just, a, okay, COVID's hurting your league. Uh, we're going to just suspend it for this season. Five years, five Carl. Years. Five years. What do you think about that? that? That's, <laughs> that's cr- that I... I don't agree with it. Um, I'll start off by saying that I, I just think that I don't know why a five-year window. Did they give any sort of reason on like is it finances? Is it they don't think these clubs at the lower level like, or is it just all of a sudden they just came out of nowhere and said, hey, you know, five years we're gonna do this. Well, what what I will say is I know they had a weird formula. Uh, to begin with of how people got or teams got relegated uh i think it was you know how like the the coefficient works for um how they rank european leagues Mm -hmm. it's like based on how teams fared for the past three or four years i want to say it's four, maybe five years i don't know something like that but uh that's kind of how they determined who got relegated it was like a, a cumulative score of how many points you earned oh, so w- over the past couple years. So it wasn't season by season, though. That's interesting. No, it, it was it was already weird. And uh, if you if you look at a team like Veracruz, um, they got really close to getting relegated. I think they might have actually gotten relegated, or they were gonna be in position to be relegated. And it was like, oh, you pay six million dollars and. Uh, <laughs> you're still in and there's another example of it, it might it might have been Veracruz where their owner was like well I'll just buy another first division team that's <laughs> owners like yeah buy buy us up and then I'll rename it Veracruz and then I'll move it to where Veracruz is and I hope I'm not slandering Veracruz because I'm pretty sure this is what happened that's but crazy. uh yeah and so there, there's a lot of ways to skirt the rules to begin with so uh, it seemed like they were heading in that direction in Mexico as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know why. They, they have a great culture for, for football there. Um, it's, it's really too bad. I, I know I think it's, it's the Asensio. Asensio, I think that's what it's called, is just taking a new direction. I think I read that the, uh, they want it to be more of a developmental league. Mm-hmm. So a la, you know, USL. Hopefully right. that's not the, you know, the formula, the they permanent use. <laughs> future of the, of the USL. Yeah. Uh, so, man, I, it just it's that, discouraging, especially it, when you. It's very discouraging. Discouraging. Excuse me, because it's it's taking so much out of the game, um, and it's taking so much out of these leagues. It's taking so much out of the culture. Like, just imagine if you're 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 a diehard fan of one of these lower level clubs, and all of a sudden you you realize that there there's no opportunity for you to move up to the next division. Like, I mean, I, I can't imagine how satisfying that is as a feeling, as a fan of a lower level team that gets promoted. Like, you, look, what do you think like Leeds United fans are feeling right now? After how many years has it been since they've been promoted to the Premier League and they're finally getting that opportunity? Oh, man. Like, it's just like, 
I want to say like 19. It, it, it's got to be like such a relieving and such a sort of um, just as as a fan, like it was probably no words for it, especially as a diehard fan. And now for like the league to tell you like, hey, no, like we're putting a haul on you, any, you know, clubs being promoted. It's just like, you know, that, that just yeah. takes like what it's, I, I guess at that point like yeah you're rooting for the team yeah you're a fan but what's there to win outside of like the league championship i have to wonder if it's because of this talent choosing the mls um i mean it it definitely has to be a part of it but these clubs are still a lot stronger i mean they're crushing mls in my favorite competition because I love seeing MLS get crushed <laughs> in the uh, the CONCACAF Champions League. Fantastic. It's amazing. It's I know they beautiful. keep changing the format of it, and I'm like, what are they? Are they trying to give MLS a better chance at it? They're still going to get crushed by Club America or, right. you know, whoever else comes their way or Chivas, you know, or even Saprissa, you know. Yeah. Costa Rica can still pull their weight. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you got uh, Carlos Vela, who's clearly showing that he is uh, still got it. And he could have gone to, you know, Liga Emekis. I don't think he would have made as much as he's making in MLS due to the DP rule. But, um, right. yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's it's sad. I was really disheartened to read that. At first, I, I kind of saw the headline and thought, oh, it's just going to be for a year. But, uh, sadly, five years. it seems like that's the death of Pro-Rel there. Yeah, yeah five I years. Mean, maybe- like, wh- what second division club is going to invest? Right. They're, 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 if there's... There's no reason to because it's like you you could be the top team for five years and all of a sudden they're like okay we'll do it again and then all of a sudden you know you're not the top team so basically those five years are you know out the window I guess um, and maybe maybe they're giving a five year window to try to figure out a better formula I don't know I don't you know honestly I not really sure what's a better formula than pro reg but. Um, Maybe there's something out there. Pro rel. <laughs> you pro said reg. pro reg. Pro rel. But whatever, um, you know. Pro right. Pro regular. I'm pro regular. Pro regular. League structure. I, I want a pro regular league structure. That's what I want. Maybe this could be the new thing. Maybe we can, on this podcast, we can design a pro reg formula and make it our own thing. I want pro <laughs> regular. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's all I had on that. Um, and with that, maybe we should just jump into our next little section here. Yeah. Uh, as much as we do want to go into detail on all the little nooks and crannies that there are in world football, uh, we also know people just want to know what's going they on. Know what's going on? And hopefully, we hopefully we've you know kept their attention long enough to to stick to this point. You oh know my god. <laughs> Yeah, uh, thank you to anyone who decides to listen this far in. But um, so hey, we got Liverpool won a big old PL title, which is awesome for me. Uh, it was kind of a weird feeling because I, I I I didn't really want it to happen on, <laughs> on a day they weren't playing. Uh, but I was I was walking out of um, my office that uh, that day actually I was for some reason still in the office and I've been pretty much working from home since, so I got the notification city lost or city dropped enough points Wh- whatever I forget exactly how it happened it was far enough <laughs> back now, but uh, they won the league and I'm like awesome great you know like I I did a little jig there it was it's just it's you know it's weird when you're not sitting at a bar <laughs> watching it or sitting at home so. It's like, what am I really going to do when I'm walking to my car? Shoot off some fireworks, uh, but, crack a bottle or something, have a yeah, beer. But I, 
I cra- <laughs> I I cracked a beer when I got home and I just sat and I I watched you know all the all the highlights from Sky News and what have you and just all the pundits. Um, Don't let him lie to, to you. See, he cried the you know, whole time. Oh uh, yeah, I, I was I actually you know I might have shed a tear to be TBH. Um, but just watching the antics, you know, seeing seeing Andy Robertson, uh, you know, do his thing. There he was clowning. I think Trent was on uh, being interviewed. Uh, no, it was Hendo. Hendo was being was being interviewed and Andy was in the background clowning him but and seeing you know Jurgen do his dance it's just it's it's an amazing culmination of uh of what that organization has been able to do in the past couple of years oh, yeah. uh, between the Champions League finals and that so I, I didn't really have too much to say about that I mean everyone said everything that could be said at this point I'm honestly a little bit disappointed with the faltering since yeah, then they, they, they uh, seem like just, just seeing the drop points it's especially Arsenal I mean like I and mean, I I don't Arsenal was. Uh, I mean, I I felt so. I I shouldn't say I felt bad, but I was like almost amused the fact that Tottenham was able to beat them because I'm like Tottenham has been piss poor this entire season, especially. I mean, yeah. they had just had a nil nil draw against Bournemouth. Bournemouth, like, are they didn't have a shot on target, not in about a hundred minutes because they had ten minutes of added time at the end in a hundred minutes not a shot on target against Bournemouth and I'm just it's I I thought that Arsenal game was was just gonna be just another disappointing depressing and you know they were able to take three points from it and then Arsenal go out and beat you know Liverpool it's just beat beat Liverpool yeah I, I I just I don't know how that happened I think uh looking back on it there's one point I think I could make before we we move on to another topic. Um, I think what we are seeing is the importance of having uh, Naby Keita in the fold for Liverpool mm-hmm. now. Um, he has just, like, since the restart, I'm like, this is the guy that we paid for. <laughs> Finally. This is the guy that was worth every cent. Yeah, it's just, you know, I watched all those highlights of him playing at, uh, at Salzburg and um, Leipzig, and he's just, like... In, an interception mastermind and then the craziest part about it is like he turns that around and he's a creative mm-hmm. force um and i i think that's what we've seen in the past couple weeks here uh and then you know jenny winaldum great player perfect pickup for liverpool but i i just don't think he has it in the tank anymore so um that, that would just be my takeaway i think nabby really deserves his starting position uh just to shore up that oh, midfield yeah. but um I guess moving on, uh, the next topic would just be the Golden Boot. It's a uh, it's a weird year it's a for this, really weird uh, year. especially since you gotta have an asterisk next to it with all the leagues that just said, "Nope, we're done. We're not playing any more games." Mm-hmm. But um, hey, uh, you know, um, other than Ronaldo and and Ciro, I. Th- think it's fair to say that Robert Lewandowski really deserves all the praise that he he's going to get for this if he if oh he I mean fact it, win it which it's looking pretty he, likely yeah it's such an insane start to the season like it, it was just like I mean out of nowhere I I think by by like what October he had like 15 goals or something like that and it it, it was it was insane the tally he has put up um and the fact, and you know, I'm just the fact he only had what 22 or something last season, um, or not, or not even 22. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think it was 22. It's just he's 
I think it was around 22. Yeah, I was looking he the has other just day. surpassed another level. And I mean, he is just so... He's proving he still has it. Um, you're talking about... Yeah, he's consistent. Consistent. Um, and Consistency. that's all you... You know, he's been consistent his whole career. It's finally good to see him getting this sort of recognition, like the golden boot, you know what I mean? What can you say? Yeah, and, uh, you know, when I'm looking at this list here, it's... I would say it's surprising to see... Ronaldo still on that how list. About, how about Immobile? Immobile for Lazio. That well, that one kind of shocked. Yeah, what a resurgence! What what a resurgence that he's had. Um, you know, I think after that transfer to Dortmund a couple years back, it just looked like his career was pretty much done. Like right. he just wasn't going to do anything. And then he's really just like he is leading Lazio to. Heights that I I really did not think. Oh, I was he, see he, since he returned to Italy, for, like he's been he's been fantastic. Um, and so it's it's definitely good to see that resurgence of him, um, especially you know for strikers. Like I, I I feel like every you know everybody's so hard on strikers because they're your goal scorers, right? And so when they don't provide sort of that ability, like there's nobody more ridiculed or criticized more than strikers who don't score goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so to finally see him kind of getting uh, maybe a little bit, at least for this season, getting that monkey off his back is. You know, it's it's good for him. It it definitely is. Uh, it's a good story. You know, strikers scoring goals, and it seems like strikers suffer from loss of confidence more than any other position. And so, I'm sure having all those goals in his bag is. I who knows? He could have a transfer. I I don't know where to. It seems like he might have realized that right. Italy's his groove, and he's going to stick it there. But yeah, it's it's been a great year. Uh, I think the only other person i'd want to bring up on that list besides jamie vardy just being <laughs> consistent i like I, I don't know how he continues to pull it out but um uh, he, he's early holland when you when you, when you look when you look at that list number five early holland 29 and i'm pretty sure that's just league goals i think if you account for all competitions he's at 44 which is absolutely nuts but uh yeah it, i mean it, it, I, I, you know, I thought that that was a good transfer when he went oh, to Dortmund, but I, I didn't realize that it was going to be as yeah, successful I mean, as it was. Water is wet, and Erlen Harland scores goals. I mean, that's basically the saying that's going around Dortmund right now. Like, it's just like he, whenever he touches the ball, like everybody holds their breath and watches him because just he is incredible and his pace for for a player and a striker his size to have that sort of pace like he does you know to get in behind the defense and make those runs yeah. to receive that ball behind the center backs is it's incredible and then on top of that his finishing ability like it's just you know it's he has surpassed all i mean there was a lot of expectations you know and a lot of people were kind of shocked that and man united wanted him bad and a lot of people were shocked that he didn't choose you know united and he went to dortmund and dortmund just has happened to be the perfect fit for him um in the perfect system um and it's it's definitely you know i i think i think he'll be right on top of this list again next year if not you know the top goal scorer and all of you know making a run for the golden Mm -hmm. boot so Mm-hmm. I think I would be worried saying that uh, you know Jaden Sancho, Jaden Sancho, Jaden Sancho is probably going to yeah. uh, 
move, but I, I don't know. I, I watch him, and he creates his own goals. He doesn't necessarily no. need no, he that doesn't. connection. Like he, he makes it. He basically makes the jobs for that midfield for him the ball. You know the positions he puts himself in, the runs he makes, and just his performance on the ball too. Like I mean, his dribbling ability. It's he's a special, special talent, um, and it's going to be fun to see yeah. him grow even more. You know, once he can get another full season under his belt, especially a full season at Dortmund and a full season in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I guess moving on, um, I was going to talk about Kai Havertz, but I feel like every podcast has talked about Kai Havertz. So uh, I would like to congratulate Real Madrid. Uh, they are officially La Liga champions for the first time in what seems like honestly a decade, but it's it hasn't been then, that like, long. What, three years, um, something like that? Yeah, nothing crazy, but it seems like just Barcelona had such a stranglehold on the league, so that's that's that was interesting to see. Uh, it's definitely a little bit of a validation for uh, Zidane. Um, you know, people thought, okay, he's only going to win the Champions League, can't pull it together throughout the whole season, and here he does. You know, credit right. to credit, credit where it's due. Barcelona definitely didn't have the best year. Uh, Messi was out for a while, but. Hey, you know, the organization at Madrid has has done well. They've been astute with their finances, as you mentioned prior. Um, So, yeah, congrats to Real Madrid. Yeah, I mean, Real Madrid's going to be, they are built for the future. And not only built for now, too, but they're built for the future. And I think they realized around the time they sold off Ronaldo, um, they sort of realized that they had to move in that direction um, while keeping, you know, Sergio Ramos, who's still playing at unreal level, but he's getting older and, um, you know, you're not seeing Marcelo start anymore. You barely see him out there on the pitch. Um, and so it, it's it's really good to see them find that sort of formula of in-between of preparing for the future, but also being able to compete in the now too and not sort of packing it in. Um, you, I mean, when you're a club like Real Madrid, you really can't just like pack it in and then, you know, sell off all your talent. Um, so it seems like, and I mean, Zidane is, I, I can't think of a better player that went on to become a manager and a successful manager like Zidane. Um, and it's it's really good to see him just, especially after, you know, sort of what happened at, what was it, the end of last year or something? or um, Where, you know, they kind of ran him out and then he comes back and it's, uh, no, it's a really good story to see. And I mean, they're, Barcelona should be worried, um, especially as Messi gets older, that this, you know, Real Madrid's going to be good for a long time. Yeah, I'd say they've they've definitely planned for the future. Uh, the only thing that's looking a little questionable, maybe their their attack, but I, I'm sure they can shore that up. I think oh, I think uh, they'll get a surprising amount for Hovic. Uh, he's definitely going to move. I I highly you, doubt. You, you don't think Hovic stay? That, that's <sighs> Hovic has so much potential too. I mean, if they could keep Hovic around, like it would be. But maybe maybe he does move. Like I'm. I think it's partially his behavior that has me questioning if Madrid will want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they've, I de- just, they've dealt with Gareth Bale for years. Like, I can't imagine Hovic can be that bad. But Gareth Bale was never, he never acted that poorly. I mean, yeah, I, it's just, he just wasn't always as into it as he could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess that's a little besides the point. Right. Uh, so... I guess I would say uh, the only other story I kind of want to talk about, um, I wrote this on the rundown wrong, it's not that team, um, Valencia in their transfer list, uh, oh. I, saw, I, saw, I saw 
a uh, quite a crazy story the other day. Um, it looked like Valencia's transfer listing about their entire team. I don't have <laughs> a a lot to say about that. I saw like them announce that you know not announced, but I think it was rumored that basically their entire team was, was transfer listed. Uh, not too much to say shoot. about that. I've seen that. I uh, yeah. I mean, they're just like, hey, what can we get? <laughs> Uh, and that kind of <laughs> yeah. brings up one other point that I want to mention. Um, do you think that we'll see any sort of correction in the uh, the post Neymar transfer market due to COVID, or do you think we'll still see these inflated prices? Oh man, that that's that's a good question. Um, I oof. Um, I don't think we're going to see a lot of big moves in you know sort of the transfer, and I think. I don't know. Like, it's been such a weird end to every season, you know, every soccer season that it's, it's, how do, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't think there will be that many inflated prices. I think people will kind of stay put. They won't kind of reach, um, you know, buying a player and overpaying for a player or anything like that. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of teams make a lot of moves because they need to. But I think if they can't get them for a reasonable price, they're not going to pay anything more than what they need to do. Um, especially during yeah. COVID. I mean, a lot of these teams with just think of all the financial aspects, a lot of these, and I know a lot of these teams are owned by like billionaires and billionaires, but um, having no fans in the stadium, like that's a huge financial hit. Like you're, they're not going to have that sort of, you know, that part of their profits to be able to spend on players. Um, so. Right. And yeah. And a uh, good thing you brought that up actually with the, the ownership because Valencia's actually their owner is Peter Lim. He is a multi-billionaire, but uh, I think the idea is that he recognizes that there's not going to be a lot of revenue coming in, and he doesn't care. He's not going to invest until he sees mm, profitability, I guess, in the future or just a chance at revenue. Um, you know, and they've they've transfer listed twelve players. Uh, you know, Sillison, he he's transfer listed Rodrigo Moreno, Kevin Gamero, uh, Eloquiem Mangala, Mukhtar Diakbi, uh, Danny Parejo. Joffrey Condogbi, oh my god, I can never say his name right, Condogbia, um, Francis Coughlin, uh, Robin Sabrina, Terry Correa, like it's, that's the team, that is is the team. Is their manager on the uh, list too, is he being transfer listed? Like, I mean, the needs. I I wouldn't be surprised if the kit man was also on the list, like, (laughs) all the the trainers, everybody like Like, that. They'll all be out. (laughs) That's crazy, like, I mean, and I guess it's, it's a they, sad state but, of affairs. I, I kind of hope, I kind of hope that things even out a little bit here. Uh, maybe they'll pull a Chelsea and play a lot of you know youth players. Uh, definitely a different scenario, but maybe we'll see it. I don't know, man. It's 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 weird. Ever since that I transfer mean, fee was paid for Neymar, the world's oh been turned God. upside down. Oh my goodness! Especially with the trend. Like I mean, PSG. Whew, they. They really, and I mean, don't get me wrong, Neymar is an incredible player, he's an incredible talent, but like he, that was, it was insane. I mean, it's just, yeah. and it's like. It, it, what, doubled the record? Yeah. and 220 something million? And you look at every sort of, I mean, no, no way that uh, Barcelona could say no to that, you know what I mean? And it's just like, you, you look at, you have to look at every generational player and every generational talent, like. 
Neymar or someone who's at the level of Neymar and like have to think like is he worth that much because clubs are going to be like all right like if you want this guy like you have to pay this much and it, it's um I think you might see that for a little right. bit but I I think that will stop because clubs will realize not to make the same mistake and you know not a, a lot of clubs are owned by you know the sort of oil companies and stuff like that that um, I mean PSG they're owned by they're, they're owned by a prince mm-hmm. of Saudi Arabia aren't they or something like that it's um, I can't think are they another oil um, nah PSG is uh, PSG is Qatar I'm pretty sure oh is it really Qatar or U- UAE I don't know yeah. man it's it's well I mean uh, PSG yeah I'm pretty sure it's Qatar I think yeah, so now now that you bring Qatar. it up and it's just and I mean it's UAE Newcastle soon to be Saudi Arabia. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're seeing this all over the place now. Um, all these clubs getting these, you know, big financial yeah. sort of backings to them, kind of bottomless pits of money. You know what I mean? Like it's that would be fascinating if that deal goes through for Newcastle. I guess that's yeah. a topic for a different podcast, but um, definitely uh, an interesting one. Definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's it's it's on top of the bottomless pit of money that these premier league teams already receive from the broadcasting rights it's uh it's mm-hmm. scary and uh you know i it works out for some of these teams that have a really good academy or just they know what they're doing when it comes to training players like dortmund like ajax um even like porto or uh benfica you know like they they know right. what they're doing but it's it's the teams that uh for lack of a better word, you know, like I, I would say you got some teams in Croatia, like Dynamo Zagreb, that are, you know, they might be able to make things continue to happen because they do have those those astute policies with training players. But right. it's uh, it's your Schalke, it's your your you know lower to mid table German teams that exactly. I worry about. It's even it's the even it's in the, the Premier League too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily worry that much about the Premier League teams. It's you know you get you get a hundred million a season from the broadcasting rights. Yeah, yeah, if you can't invest that smart, you know, in a, in a smart way, then that's kind of your own fault. But if you're a Valencia and you know you're not getting that much from the TV rights deal because of how it's structured in Spain, uh, then you know what? That's on that's that's on the this the governing body. That's on UEFA to figure out. And clearly, UEFA doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, no. Other than. <laughs> UEFA giving Man City that. a slap on the wrist that just yeah. got turned around. Yeah, the UEFA proved that pretty well last week with their decision on Man City. Um, that it's just these sort just of things. Be, just are, to be clear, that was the uh, court of arbitration for sport that made that decision. But I think UEFA probably could have done a better job making their case, and if they had wanted to, they most likely would have. Right. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. Well, I think that about wraps it up for our uh, so our first too. episode here, Carl. Oh, it's man. been a lot of fun. Um, it's definitely been a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, it's always good talking the world's game with someone, and you know, it's uh, 
we can only hope that from here, you know, the things we've discussed, the things we've highlighted, that, you know, we can get more in depth about in depth about some of these things. Um, and, you know, and hopefully grab people's attention. So you sort of bring them to what we're talking about and become more interested. Uh, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. Maybe share Sh- some stories with us, too. Exactly. You know, like find things that are not going to be on The Athletic or, uh, you know, ESPN or something right. like that. Like it's. I, I really like the smaller stories um, and hopefully we can go into more detail on those, just like you said, Definitely. but uh, I guess that that wraps it up. Thanks mm-hmm. for uh, chatting with me, man. Yeah, of course. And, you know, thank everyone who does decide to listen to this, to listening, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a journey, you know, for all of us through this and, you know, we only hope to get, you know, better with these sort of podcasts and better, you know, communicating and better and reaching out if we can. Um, and hopefully, you know, this is something that, you know, becomes a pretty good hobby for everyone involved, either the listener or for Cam and I. So, um, you know, it's definitely it's a journey, just like, you know, the journey we're hopefully taking you on. It's a journey for us, too. So, yeah. And uh, we still need a name. So if anyone has ideas, definitely help us out. <laughs> yeah. Th- that name part's going to be the hardest part. Um, Maybe it should be the easiest part, but it's proving to be the hardest one right now. 